and welcome to another episode of Unearthing Paranormalcy, the podcast that digs into the paranormal and tries to find normalcy in the topic. I'm Amy. I'm Dave. And I'm Chad. And this week, we're coming at you live from Antarctica. Or Oklahoma. <laughs> oh, it's so freaking cold outside. I thought we uh, time slipped and ended our like, timeline shifted and ended <laughs> up in Antarctica. Might as well be. I don't know where the rest of the country is like, but here freezing for a week now. Yeah, and we got another week of it. <laughs> I'm not used to this. I got e- record lows and record snows. <laughs> I would say when Oklahoma weathermen have to go. Now we're gonna start talking about foot or snow and feet instead of inches. Yeah, <laughs> you're like, wait, what? <laughs> that doesn't happen here. Yeah. Did the poles shift? <laughs> I'm sure. Global know. warming. <laughs> I'm telling you, man, like, I'm sure the people up north are just laughing at us. Oh, yeah. But in my 36 years here in Oklahoma, I don't think I have ever experienced more than two days below freezing. And, yeah, we're rolling on. This is week two of below freezing, and we're rolling on to week three. Yeah. And I don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> this stuff's for the penguins. <laughs> Yes, and then, yeah, we were supposed to get 16 inches of snow. 16 to 20 inches of snow tomorrow. I've never seen that much snow. The most I know is like 12 inches. We had that We had that blizzard back, back in 2009, uh, yeah. and cars were stalled on the interstate because it blew in so quickly. And even then, I mean, we had drifts that were up to six feet tall. Yeah. But the snow itself, like, it was maybe a foot. Yeah. Like, yeah, I'm I'm not looking forward to this. So... Uh, let's go back to ooky spooky stuff because <laughs> I much prefer that to snow and cold. Um, uh, yeah, that, just first of all, I'm just all of you who live north of, I don't know, Kansas. I don't know how you do it, uh, but I don't think I could live north of Oklahoma. Uh, <laughs> Kansas gets pretty damn cold, too. <laughs> Hey, just the panhandle of Oklahoma is probably used to this, but yeah. we're not. No, no. See, we're used to like. We our, hit, our we hit win- like 31, and we're like, ooh, that's cold. Yeah. <laughs> and now we've been at like single digits for a week <laughs> with wind chills into the negative. Negative 15 is, or no, negative 10 is the low for Sunday, which is tomorrow. Negative 10. That's not wind chill. <laughs> that's just temperature. Yeah. I've never experienced that kind <laughs> of cold. <laughs> <laughs> so this week. Just trying to kill that uh, COVID virus. Yeah, well... I don't think it works that way, but... <laughs> it's definitely going to kill all the insects for the yeah. summer, which will be nice. It will be nice to not have a mosquito swarm every two inches in the backyard. Yeah. Um. Anyway, on to this week's episode. We are doing the Roth House, which is also known as the Wasika Wonder. Wasika! And if you remember back to our Haunted Chicago episode, we mentioned the Wasika wonder in the Watt Roth house but we said that there's way too much in it to just cover it in that episode that we were gonna have to dedicate a whole episode to it so that's what this is and we're gonna dedicate this whole episode to the Wasika wonder the story of the Wadsika wonder officially began in 1877 in a small town in Illinois named Wadsika it involved a young Illinois woman named Lurancy Venom it gained countrywide notoriety after one of the strangest and compelling incidents of spiritual possession occurred. 
Lorancy began to suffer strange seizures and spells that caused her to lose consciousness for hours and even days at a time. During these trances, she claimed to communicate with the spirit world. After being examined by a number of doctors, it was suggested that she be sent away to an insane asylum. There was nothing physically wrong with her, they said, so her symptoms could only be caused by insanity. I mean, yeah, if it's not one thing, it has to be another, right? There's well, no third doctors option. doctors worked. I still kind of do. After the family refused, the Rancy Venom claimed to be possessed by a teenager named Mary Roth, who had died 15 years earlier. Lorancy was able to recall details of Mary's life, leading many to believe this might be a case of past life recollection. Until it was discovered, Mary Roth passed away 15 months after the Rancy Venom was born. Well, maybe she lived 15 months without a soul. Did she have red hair? I was like, was she like me? Was she a ginger? <laughs> <laughs> no, like, Lorancy Venom was born... And when she was 15 months old, Mary Roth died. I know. So yeah. maybe she lived 15 months without a soul. And it was reincarnation. Oh, yeah, maybe. And she got her soul. <laughs> or maybe she was born with red hair and at 15 months it all fell out. Yeah. And it grew back like brown. <laughs> and so she was able to get a soul of it. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> Chad's working with me on this. <laughs> I only got half a soul. Well, redheaded listeners, it's been a good ride. <laughs> hey, Join I got me. plenty of it myself. <laughs> Join the, gen- uh, the, the gingerfication. <laughs> <laughs> the ginger revolution. <laughs> I say, um, uh, my son was born with red hair. My daughter was born with red hair. I have quite a bit myself. It's it's a family trait, so I, I have to be able to make fun of it. My grandfather was redheaded. My uncle is redheaded. That you know, okay. my whole beard is bright red, and I have a little bit of red in my hair. Yeah, that's why I'm I'm part ginger. We love the gingers. In fact, I dye my hair purposefully red now, <laughs> so that I can feel gingerish. I'm trying to trick the devil into taking my soul. <laughs> no, I don't. Know. Well, she can just pretend she doesn't have a soul. <laughs> Dr. E. Winchester Stevens of Janesville, Wisconsin, dubbed this the Wadsika Wonder, and it is one of the best documented paranormal events in American history. Before we talk more about Lorancy Venom's spirit possession, let's talk about Mary Roth. Could it also be the fact that her parents gave her the name Lorancy? It was a very common name back then. Really? Really cool last name. It was like as common as like Ruth or Agnes or for something Lorenzi Venom. Just I don't know. It sounds like it should be like an <laughs> evil like a, villain or something. Sounds like a snake bag. Snake yeah. Venom. Like <laughs> I got to be careful of the Lorenzi Venom. <laughs> now everybody called her Rancy. See, that's even worse. <laughs> You're all Rancy, Rancy. <laughs> What's that rancid Rancy doing here? Unfortunate events follow. <laughs> Mary Roth was born October 8, 1846, to Aza and Dorothy Roth. At only six months old, Mary began to suffer from epileptic fits that occurred at two-month intervals. Starting in 1857, when she was approximately 11, her fits became a daily occurrence. In 1860, Mary was put under a water cure in Peoria, Illinois. 
Now, if you remember back to, I think it was our Haunted Hotels 2 episode, I talked about hydrotherapy. Uh-huh. That was what they meant by a water oh, cure. A water cure. They make it sound all nice. It's all fancy. That's where they'd wrap people in like ice cold towels and leave them there for hours and like spray them with fire hoses. And Well, I mean, technically they still kind of do that with like sports injuries, right? Do your ice baths and your... Hmm... I mean, those are all willing. (laughs) (laughs) Consent, not consent. I mean, when it comes to medical treatment, there's a fine line. (laughs) The Roth family moved to Wadsika, Illinois in 1862 after 18 months of treatment, which only caused her violent fits to increase. In the summer of 1864, Mary began to bleed herself for relief. Doctors had advised bloodletting by leeches for treatment. She even continued this treatment at home and was applying leeches to her temples. They still do bloodletting. That's still something that is done um, to this day. And there's people who will do it for beauty treatments. I'm not, I mean, I think I'd rather like have blood drawn than have leeches all over me. Yeah. I've never had a leech, Chad. You've been bit by leeches. Yeah, I mean, you don't feel it. But they're all slimy and icky. It is nasty. Yeah. Uh Yeah, it's still done today. Yeah. (laughs) Chad's Chad's all heebie-jeebie from leeches. I'm just remembering me coming out of Lake Arbuckle with a foot full of, like, baby leeches. (laughs) 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 On July 16th, 1864... Mary snuck a knife out into the backyard with her. She cut her arm with it, which caused excessive bleeding, after which she fainted. After regaining consciousness, she became hysterical and suffered from mania for five days and nights. It required the effort of five men to hold her down on her bed, which is very peculiar considering she only weighed a 100 pounds and had recently nearly lost all of her blood. That is totally possible. When I was 11 years old, and they were trying to give me a shot, it took three nurses, my mother, and a doctor to hold me down to give me the shot. <laughs> and I was probably around 100 pounds. When when that adrenaline's going, and you're in like a fit like that, you're pretty damn strong. So it, I can totally see that being easily done. So Mary was delirious for these five days, and she suddenly became calm and slept for 15 hours straight. When she awoke, she discovered bandages covering her eyes. These were applied to protect her from unconscious scratching. Mary quickly discovered she was able to see as clearly as she could without being blindfolded. Mary entered into a clairvoyant state and seemed to know no one. She had no sense of sight, feeling, or hearing in the natural way. She could read while her eyes were bandaged, and do everything else for that matter, just as she could with her natural sight. Friends of the family, including A.J. Smith, editor of the Dansville Times, and the Reverend J.H. Rhea, witnessed Mary Roth, while heavily blindfolded, accurately read to them. In one of these experiments, she took an encyclopedia, scanned through the index until her scanned through the index until her finger rested on the entry for blood. 
She turned to the page indicated and read the subject out loud for them. Another time, she took a box of letters from friends and read them aloud without error or hesitation. Her father and friends, hoping to catch her in a ruse, put their own letters in with hers, but she was able to correctly distinguish the intruding letters from her letters. She would even read aloud the addresses and throw the ones that weren't for her across the room. She reads better than you and me, Amy. Uh, that's what I'm saying. I wonder if she had little pinholes in there because, <laughs> you know, like she can see through this little pinhole. No, actually, I think I've talked about it before. When somebody has like a near-death experience, how they become closer to the spirit. Mm-hmm. I could see all that she had gone through there before this happened. Really like awakening her third eye and being able to actually see into the spirit realm, which doesn't take not normal sight and vision. Yeah. So, I mean, that could make, that could explain that right there. I still like the pinhole idea. Mary also read the contents of a sealed letter that A.J. Smith, the editor of the Danville Times, had in his pocket. That's pretty cool. You can go and read the detailed accounts of this incident that A.J. Smith wrote up for the paper, the Danville Times. In August of 1864, Mary was in better health, but her violent fits increased her parents were advised to place her in an asylum. They refused, preferring to care for her themselves. When the family traveled to Peoria, Illinois, for a 4th of July holiday with friends, Mary complained of a terrible headache and went to lie down in one of the guest rooms. Moments later, she was found unconscious in a pool of blood. The family rushed her to the asylum, where she passed away the next day on the afternoon of July 5th, 1865. And how old was she? 19. That's got to be a shitty life to have, though. Yeah. I mean... Now, reading the, the letter inside the pocket is pretty damn impressive, though. That's, 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 that is some third-eye shit there. Mm-hmm. So on the day of Mary Ross' death, Lorenzi Venom was just a baby and living on her parents' farm in Iowa. She had been born Mary Lurancy Venom on April 16th of 1864. Her name was Mary and she chose to go by Lurancy? <laughs> that was a choice? <laughs> Apparently so. Uh, Mary Venom is not as snake-like as Lurancy. <laughs> and she was born in Milford Township, Iroquois County, Illinois. Oh, and she's your birthday twin. And she's my birthday twin. Twinsies. His birthday twin is Laurency Venom. And I was born only 119 years after she was. And my birthday twin is Lizzie Borden. Chad? I don't know. You got a shit ton of birthday twins because half of our family was born in the same day. I want like cool birthday twins. (laughs) Let's see here. Esoteric and murderers. (laughs) (laughs) Born on August 17th Come on Oh, that's bullshit No no killers, serial killers (laughs) Born on my birthday Um, Alright, well, will you look that up? Let's get on to Laurency The Venom family moved to a farm Seven miles south of Wadsika in 1871 From April 1st, 1871 To the end of the summer the same year The Venom family lived about 600 feet From the Roth house in the fall of 1871, they moved to a house on the other side of Watsika by the high school, 
now known as the Venom House. I love that. I, oh, I wish I could. I want to live in I the, live Venom, in the house. Venom House. Now, both of these families, they were very prominent in the area. The Venoms were actually, um, it's either the Venoms or the Roths, I forget, but they were actually some of the town's uh, founders. Yeah. Their ancestors were. And I want to say at this time, one of the Roths was the mayor. So they are um, a pretty well-known and prominent family, so both why, of them in the areas. That's why the houses have those names. Mm-hmm. Like we have one here. We have the Moore Lindsay house. Yeah. Um, that That's just named after some prominent Normanites. And they, they were part, like, part of the co-founders, right? Or maybe the first settlers here no, or something? No, they were just influential people. Uh, the Moors mm. were bankers and property investors. And then the Lindsays were the Moors... Uh, relatives so like <laughs> Robert how, De Niro <laughs> has a birthday twin with Robert De Niro but yeah like it basically the house went from the Moors to the Lindsay's so you also got to keep in mind this is like real high society people real uh, we care what the neighbors think kind of people you know so as we're going through this we'll kind of keep that in the back of our minds you know well I do declare mm-hmm. well Laurency, Laurency, <laughs> and really the only entertainment for this time was gossiping. Yeah, oh yeah, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and the parlors. Did you hear? Uh, I mean, this is more of a southern thing, and this this is Illinois, so it's more mm. of a northern thing. But you say, you know, not do I do declare, but same difference. <laughs> Whatever the nor- northern version of it is, I do declare is. <laughs> <laughs> Did you hear? <laughs> OMG. <laughs> Becky. Look at her butt. It's so big. Break it down, Dave. Lorancy was a normal, healthy child of 13 when the 12th anniversary of Mary Ross' death occurred on July 5th, 1877. On July 6th, she told her parents, There were people in my room last night, and they kept calling, Rancy, Rancy, and I could feel their breath on my face. Rancy. So the Venom family was, uh, they were very um, orthodox. They were Christian, and the Roth family had gotten into spiritualism since the death of Mary. So I, we'll just kind of keep that in mind as we go through this as well. So about a week later, Lorancy was helping her mother stitch a broken seam on the carpet. She suddenly straightened up and said, Ma, I feel bad. Moments later, she stiffened and fell over unconscious for five hours. This became an everyday occurrence. She would have a faint pulse, slow and weak breath, and a below normal temperature during these fits. She also suffered from abdominal pains and would murmur about visions involving what she called angels. Sometimes these attacks would last for an hour. Sometimes they would last for up to eight hours. At times, she would talk in different voices. And upon, and upon gaining consciousness, she would remember none of it. In these unconscious states, she would tell the family what people and spirits she saw, describing them and calling some by name. 
Amongst the ones mentioned were her deceased sister and brother. Oh, mother, can't you see Laura and Bertie? They're so beautiful. Bertie. Local doctors suspected Laurency was mentally ill, but could not do anything for her. They recommended she be sent to the state insane asylum in Peoria. I know that is just what they did back then, but good lord. I don't know how to help her, so make someone else's problem. I don't know how to help her, so send her to this place where she'll be tortured until she dies. And That's not what they do, Amy. It's exactly what they did in those no assignments. they cure them no they, they well, do that's what the them. doctors do they're not the doctors aren't going to tell you well here i mean at that point you'd be like hey here just send her to prison like these <laughs> <laughs> were worse than prison at least in prison you had a chance of getting out yeah that's true but this kind of turn of the century uh medicine really shows how uh like christian science really took off you know because it was either faith healing or it was modern day doctors <laughs> like, at the time. Hmm, like, I could hmm, go to the insane I'll take my chances with God. <laughs> I could pray it out of me. Um, <laughs> I'm going to pray hard. The Venom family soon received a visitor, a man named Azza Roth, whose daughter Mary Roth suffered from the same illness more than a decade earlier. You see, Azaroff and his wife Dorothy Roth had become devout followers of spiritualism and believed that Mary had been a gifted and misunderstood spirit medium. Azaroff pleaded with the Venoms not to send Laurency away to the asylum where his own daughter had died. He claimed that a spiritualist physician could and would help her. Pray it away, pray it away. The Venoms agreed to give it a try. Whereupon the Roths called out medical doctor E. Winchester Stevens of Janesville, Wisconsin. When Dr. Stevens arrived on January 31st, 1878, he found the Rancy sitting near the stove, her elbows on her knees and her hands under her chin. Her feet were curled under the chair and she was staring off into nothingness. After some awkward silence, Dr. Stevens picked up a chair. Laurency warned him. Not to come any closer. At this point in her condition, she was surly, would react violently to being touched, and referred to her mother only as... Old Granny. And her father as... Old Black Dick. Hey, Old Black Dick. Need me get me some water? Lorancy comes into communication with several spirits until 5.30 p.m. that night. During these trances with which Dr. Stevens, Ozeroff, and the Venom family witnessed, Laurency was taken over by a bunch of different spirits or entities. One was an old, angry woman called Katrina Hogan, and there was a young man, a suicide called Willie Canning. After some unintelligible conversation, she had another one of her fits, which Dr. Stevens relieved by hypnotizing her. Back then it was called mesmerizing, but that's what it is. It's hypnotism. She then calmed down enough to say that she had been controlled by evil spirits. Dun, dun, dun. Dr. Stevens suggested she try to gain a better control. 
After this, she mentioned the names of several people that were dead. There was one in particular that wanted to come forward to possess her and claimed she could help heal her. I see dead people. Laurency entered into a trance and allowed herself to be possessed by this young woman's spirit. When Laurency regained consciousness, she seemed different. Nothing like her former self. When Dr. Stevens asked who she was, she replied, My name is Mary Roth. Then she greeted her father, Azaroth, immediately. She had no idea who the Venom family was and kept pleading to be taken home. Mrs. Roth and her daughter, Mrs. Minerva Alter, Mary's sister, went to visit Laurency. Laurency was looking out the window at the time they visited, saw them down the street and exclaimed, Here comes my ma and my sister Nervy. Nervy was actually the name Mary called Mrs. Alter when she was just a young girl. When they entered the house, Laurency hugged them and cried for joy. Laurency became more insistent on going home. The Venoms gave in, hoping it might help their daughter. Mary Roth said that the angels would let her stay until mid-May in Laurency while they helped her. On February 11, 1878, Laurency moved into the Roth house. Despite never being in the house, she knew everything about it. When Mrs. Roft asked Laurency if she remembered moving to Texas in 1857, when Mary Roth was 11, she recounted seeing the Native Americans along the Red River and playing with the daughters of the Reeder family who were in the traveling party. The Roth family, as well as dozens of local neighbors, relatives, and friends, met with Laurency and believed she was possessed by Mary Roth. Laurency recognized people that Mary knew, identified things that once belonged to Mary, and even told intimate family secrets there was no way Laurency would have known. Let's get into the details. Let's get into it, into, into it. it. Let's get into it. Laurency knew the names and life histories of friends and neighbors from 1852 to 1865. We're talking hundreds of incidents that transpired during Mary Roth's life. Laurency predicted the illness of Frank Roth, who fell ill from a cognitive chill the day after the prediction. Laurency could accurately say where Dr. Stevens was when he was not at the Roth house. She even described the doctor's home, the rooms, and the furniture. Keep in mind, Dr. Stevens' home was hundreds of miles away in Wisconsin, a state where Laurency had never even been. She knew the private details of one of his daughters in heaven, named Emma Angelia Stevens. She said she died on March of 1849, and the details of her parents were spot on all the way down to an, ex- an X-shaped scar on her cheek, which was from a surgery on an infection. Laurency insisted to go meet the mother and the rest of the family, who she knew all the names and ages of. During a seance in the front parlor of the Roth house, the spirit of Mary Roth jumped into the body of a man next to Laurency. 
Lawrence, he later took on the spirit and personality of the grandmother of one of the Roth servants named Charlotte, who was in attendance at the seance. She knew the names, ages, and histories of her relatives, both living and dead. For five months, Laurency lived as Mary Roth in the Roth family home possessed by her spirit. Laurency went from being aggressive to a mild, passive, and polite young lady during this time. The stay was very beneficial to her mental health as well as her physical health. When Mr. and Mrs. Venom and their children visited, she treated them as strangers. But after a while, she warmed up to them and came to love them as friends. Occasionally, Mary Roth would leave Laurency's body, and Laurency would be left in a state of trance. At least once during this state, Laurency came out of trance with her own personality, but only for a brief time, a couple minutes at most. Dr. Stevens asked Mary about her former life and she told him about the incident in which she cut her arm badly. She rolled up her sleeve to show him the scar, then flatly said, Oh, this is not the arm. That one's in the ground. She went on and described where she was buried, how she watched it happen, and who was around at the time. Sorry, I left that scar in my other body. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. On May 7th, 1878, Mary Roth said that the real Laurency was away being treated, and when she was physically and mentally healthy again, she would return, and that she would have to leave Laurency's body at that time. On May 21st, after 14 weeks of Mary Roth being in Laurency's body, with tears in her eyes, she told everyone goodbye and left, fulfilling the prophecy which she made back when she first took control. Laurency Venom was back, and she asked Mrs. Roth to take her home. When they arrived, she was hugging and kissing her parents and her brothers, and was so happy to be home and well again. She told her family the past 15 weeks had seemed like a dream to her. After settling in, Mrs. Venom said that Laurency was perfectly and entirely well and natural. Laurency was. Laurency had been smarter, more intelligent, more industrious, and more womanly, and more polite than before. Her parents gave credit to Dr. Stevens, as well as Mr. and Mrs. Roth, for curing their girl, and believed if she had not been allowed to go to the Roth house, she would have died, or would have been sent to the insane asylum. Mrs. Venom said, Several of the relatives of Laurency, including ourselves, now believe she was cured by spirit power and that Mary Roth controlled the girl. In July of 1878, Dr. Stevens diagnosed Laurency in sound health, both physically and mentally. He received a letter from Laurency thanking him for all of his patience and help. Side note, according to experts, the handwriting of the letter bore no resemblance to the letter she penned, when she was possessed by Mary Roth. In January of 1882, at at 18 years old, Laurency married George Benning, a New York-born farmer of English immigrants from near Watsika. They moved to Rawlins County, Kansas in 1884, where she became the mother of 11 children. Good Lord! They were just walking out by the end. (laughs) It was said that on occasion, Mary would still take control of Laurency. 
but since it was not an encouraging environment, she never developed her medium powers further. Now, some have said that Laurency said that Mary Roth would take control of her during childbirth to make it a painless affair for her. Well, that was handy. <laughs> would enhance the 11 children, <laughs> but I don't know. Um, George Benning died in Long Beach, California on November 21st of 1916. Now, I could see that because Mary never got to have children. Mm-hmm. I could see her wanting to, to get to experience that. Particularly if she has a host that allows it. Yeah, and I mean, honestly, the pain, quote-unquote, associated with childbirth is what gives you, helps with the connection with the child. So, uh, I don't it's interesting. Lucky. I don't know. I had meds. <laughs> <laughs> was a one lucky guy. He got two women in one. Yeah. <laughs> in the 1930s, Lawrence used to visit her sister Florence in Medicine Lodge, Kansas, at least once a year. Her great niece, Joyce Westbrooks, recalled a visit in 1938 to her and her daughter Daisy in Long Beach. In 1940, Laurency was 76 and preferred not to speak of those 15 weeks back in the 1870s when she mystified science. Laurency Venom died on August 30, 1952 in Los Angeles, California. Joyce Westbrooks, son of the director and playwright William Westbrooks, penned a play about Laurency named Before I Wake. It was uh, first performed at Gettysburg, Pennsylvania, at Gettysburg College. The initial performances in 1981 were attended by many of Lawrence's relatives. Dr. Stevens wrote the book, The Witeska Wonder, in 1887, which is based on the case and his personal knowledge of it. In 1890, Dr. Richard Hodgson's a skeptical member and co-founder of the Society for Psychical Research, investigated the case starting on April 12th. You may remember Hodgson's as the investigator who wrote a report about Madame Blavatsky and speculated she was a Russian spy. Vernon Harris concluded about Hodgson's investigation into HPB. It is the work of a man who has reached his conclusions early on in his investigation, and thereafter selecting and distorting evidence, did not hesitate to adopt flawed arguments to support his thesis. Unquote. People who just shut off the magic piss me off. I'm all cool with being skeptical, but sometimes just let the magic happen. I think it just scares them for something like that to be real, so they just in their mind already have it. Well, that's not real, so they're going to take any and every piece of evidence that supports them, whether or not it's actually there or not. And In the end, it killed Laurency. Yeah. So, it doesn't was matter it what, that bad? Yeah. <laughs> Even know? if she was faking it. Well, she <laughs> cured herself after 15 <laughs> weeks and lived a happy, long yeah. life. Yeah. So, Richard Hodgson's had worked on a case with Morton Prince at the end of the 19th century. The Christine uh, Beauchamp uh, multiple personality case. So Hodgins showed up, questioned some witnesses that happened to still live in the neighborhood, tried to get some direct statements from Laurency, who was uninterested. Then after this, he suggested that Mary Roth was just a secondary personality of Laurency Venom, or 
that Venom was indeed possessed by Roth's spirit. So, either it was a second personality or it was real. <laughs> either it was fake or it was real. <laughs> I'm I, glad I, he I, went into depth for us there. <laughs> um, That's a guy who just couldn't make up his mind. That, that, <laughs> that was actually me because oh. I read both incidents. Uh-huh. I read that, that his conclusion was either she was possessed by Roth's spirit or that it was just a second personality. So when I get conflicting information, I just present it both. <laughs> uh, well, I think he probably was the same way, though. Yeah. It was either real or it was fake. I don't know. I'm going to write paper and make money off of it. Yeah, I mean... He, <laughs> I mean, at least he's willing to entertain I, the idea of it being real. Yeah. So. I mean, at this time, secondary personalities were just as rare as spiritual possession. But from what I understand, they don't just go away. They don't just appear one well, day and then disappear another day. They didn't know anything about this back in eighteen ninety. They're just going off of what they what they think they know. That's right. I gotta I gotta I can't I can't judge somebody on today's norms based off of yesterday's norms. He's an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, like I said, whether it's real or not, it cured her. I've heard the theory that it's like a placebo effect. Yeah. Dr. Stevens put in her mind let this spirit possess you to heal you. Because who chose how long the healing was going to take place? Yeah. That was And then the Mary. prophecy yeah. was fulfilled. I could see it being psychological in that sense, but for her to know all the information she knew, there has to be a paranormal aspect of that. Yeah. I mean, we're talking the 1800s. She couldn't have just Googled it and found out yeah. all this information she about the She would either have, have to have someone sit there and tell her all this information, her memorize it, and then yeah. repeat it in front of other people. And oh, absolutely. There are people who naturally have medium abilities. And if you don't exercise that, it will fade, which I think is kind of what happened to her as she got older. But I think at this point, I think with the seizure that she had mm-hmm. and... Everything I think it was also so co- so close to the things that Mary had experienced that it could have drawn Mary to her. She was only six hundred feet away. Um, thought you said six hundred feet from the Roth house. No, she was across town. But okay, okay. I mean it's a small town. Okay, so no. she's across town from. It could I have, mean, as a Roth heard all about it through the grapevine. Yeah. So I mean, it would make sense too. I mean, if someone as a spirit and someone's going through the same things you went through that led to your death, you would think they'd be drawn to you to try to either help or who knows what exactly. I mean, I'm not a spirit. But uh, you would think it's like, okay, oh, she's going through the same things. Maybe I can stop her from doing what I did. Yeah. And if it is a spirit, Mary Roth was a very, I mean, that's, that's got to be a hard thing to give up. You've gotten a life again, and yeah. then you have to give it up. That to me, that, you know, like that whole situation of the fact that the angels took Lorenzi's mind or soul or whatever to cleanse it and everything. And there has, I mean, that's got to be a higher power. Yeah, that you know, told Mary Roth, we can let you do this. But you're gonna have to give it back, and it if the make- higher power has the p- ability to cleanse a soul of 
a mental issue. So would y'all call this an incident of faith healing? Possibly. I also think it would make a hell of a movie. Um, I think it was turned into a movie in 2009. Let me let me figure this out. Because I really didn't look into pop culture. Because, I mean, I don't know if I would say faith healing, because me and the word faith don't really well, go I mean, together well. Miracle, but yes. Miracle, a spiritual, I, I guess faith is in more of a spiritual yeah. thing than yes. Well, they were spiritualists, so yeah. Yeah. It would be a spiritualist faith healing. Yeah, it was the 2009 movie The Possessed is based on the true story, The Wadsika Wonder. Hmm. But I mean, there there seems to be something to that. I mean, the fact that she knew all that information. Yeah. I believe in angels. Whereas I might not believe in like the Christian <laughs> form of faith. Yeah. I believe well, in angels. I believe angels in have been power, around longer than yeah. Angels have been around longer than Christianity. Oh, so, yeah. I mean, you can believe in angels and not believe in Christianity. They're, yeah. they're not I mean, one and the same. Because the term angel comes from uh, Judaism. Yeah. I mean, this is a possession case. I mean, if you have to be possessed by something, I want to be, if I have to be possessed, I want it to be Mary Roth. Absolutely. You know what I mean? Who's to say Mary Roth, has, you know, didn't become an angel it, after going through what she went through. It very well could have been and, what she needed to do to ascend higher. Yeah. And that was her willing to take someone's body over to keep them from harming themselves to allow them to get treatment and then I don't know. I think Amy kind of debunked that she was just a trickster that was putting pinholes in her blindfold. Yeah. (laughs) Well, when she was reading the letter inside the pocket, that kind of debunked that that theory. But. no, there's this is an awesome case. Yeah. I'm so excited that you brought this to us cuz yeah, I'm just I've been sitting on this for like almost a year. I'm just like <laughs> Here's wow. the thing. I came into this completely blind cuz I didn't know anything about it and I didn't know how to spell Roth. So when I tried to look it up online, I couldn't find any I was finding like, like R O F F. That's what I did. But I pulled up the Roth house in Wisconsin, which happens to be like some law firm, it's a historical house in Wisconsin, and I was like, "Well, that's not it." Uh, so I, I could not find any information on it, so I had no idea what was going on. Now, now I always try to bring kind of the skeptic side, you know, to keep it balanced. Um, but I've been tying myself in logical knots over this, and I think maybe Hodgson's did the same thing and was just like, "You know what? I don't got nothing." Chad and I, I don't got nothing either. Are experts at coming up with alternate alt theories, and we're having issues yeah. with that right now. Honestly, I'm believing this case. Oh yeah, I believe. I'm almost like I don't know how. It, there's too many things that you have know been that reported. BS that makes card me. that I've had ever since the Madame Blavatsky case. <laughs> I can't is, throw that one in on this one. The only thing I got is that almost all information comes from Doctor. Stevenson? Uh, Dr. E. Winchester Stevenson's book, who was a spiritualist and a doctor, uh, a physician. Maybe he embellished in his book. Yeah. But then why wouldn't two prominent families call him out on that? Yeah. Yeah. So. I don't know. I mean, with the information given, there's no... 
nothing that leans me towards this is faked. With the facts that like, have been I had more, <laughs> I had more skeptics. Uh, skept, what's the word? Skepticism. Skepticism against the uh, infield poltergeist case than I do on this one. Apparently, I took too much because if, <laughs> if you also think back to the Madame Blavatsky case, how many people's lives were destroyed just because they got caught in like a little lie? Yeah, I mean, the 1870s was a time where you're in if your integrity was questioned and you were found to be fraud, your life was done. You were you were canceled. Yeah. yeah. The only thing I could think is if if it was an all a big plot between the Roths. And the Venoms, and this Doctor Stevens, and everybody that they knew. Yeah, it'd have to be a like, hell of a conspiracy with no money involved. Yeah, like it doesn't. Yeah, there's no logical reasoning that I could think that this would have been a scam, except to maybe spread the word of spiritualism. But spiritualism was massive then. I mean, I mean, this is like technically the peak of spiritualism in the 1890s. It was kind of. Almost out the door. I mean, also in the fact that I'm uh, only against that is supposedly the Venom's family were very uh, religious, weren't they? Yeah, they were Orthodox Christians. Orthodox Christians, so. Yeah. Like, I don't see why they would want to spread spirituality. The, the spiritualism movement, if they were Orthodox Christian, yeah. yeah. No, no, but you're right. I'm sorry. I, I got the dates wrong. Yeah, the 1870s and the 1880s, it was a huge that yeah, was like, part of the spiritual movement. Like that was back when everybody was doing like the mm-hmm. the table knocking oh, and yeah. all that stuff. They're like, come by the parlor tonight, lovey. We're going to be summoning astral hobos. <laughs> <laughs> Someone called me. <laughs> <laughs> And see, unlike the Astral Hobos, it wasn't like they were causing chaos. It seems to be a pretty peaceful transition there. Yeah. You know, there might have been moments, you know, when she was being possessed by evils. That could have easily been, you know, Astral Hobo Joe over there trying to pop in there. (laughs) But... (laughs) <laughs> <My turn. laughs> I absolutely love this period of history, though. Yeah, I've always been drawn to it. The the occultic movement and the spiritualist movement. I absolutely love it. If I could have been alive during those, maybe it was. Maybe that was my past life. Pre-TV, pre-radio. I, I think we Pre-social determined media. that the... Uh, oh, God. That the... Um, you've, I'm what, starting what's to miss it the 1990s. The Europhone? Whatever you used to crank to play records yeah. on. I don't even think that got invented till the late... 1890s. Heck, I'm missing the 1990s. So this is what people... <laughs> pre-social media live, pre-internet. So this is what people did for entertainment. Oh, yeah. Had cocktail parties and... I have s- social media. spirits. <laughs> and I have TV. And I have the internet. And this is still what I do for entertainment. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> we just talk. I got my daughter a Ouija board for Christmas. I mean, this is just... <laughs> This is just me. <laughs> Maybe it was a past life. Maybe last past life I was a spiritualist in the Victorian era. Yeah. I do declare. I do declare. Sitting in my parlor drinking some sweet tea. <laughs> and I choked on it. That's why I hate it in this life. <laughs> <laughs> that's why you, that's how you died. Choked on sweet tea. <laughs> no, I just can't stand it. <laughs> <laughs> she got it out for that sweet tea. <laughs> Her name was Gertrude. (laughs) Nerdy Gertie. (laughs) Speaking of, the names. Oh, like nerdy and... 
Uh, Bird. <laughs> Bert. 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 Oh, Bertie. Okay, I thought Bertie. it was Bertie. Rancy. Rancy. And Nervy. Nervy. There was another one that popped in there, and I just I shook my head, and Chad looked at me and just like, what are you doing? Well, her real name was Minerva. I mean, I can Min- see it now. It's like, Minerva. It's like, say Minerva, and she's like, Nervy. They're like, close enough. It's like our son calls yeah. our daughter usually sissy. Yeah. Oh, I think it was just Florence. It was when it was Laurency and Florence. I was like, ha, Lawrence and Florence. And <laughs> Let's see. It was just funny. This episode, I had just watched this com- uh, comedian on a one of the apps I have for comedy and stuff on my phone. And he was talking about the name changes and the stuff. He's like, you know, it used to be, you know, Grandma Gertrude and Aunt Lois or Aunt Anez and stuff like that. And he goes, now you're about to have, hey, look, it's Granny Amber. <laughs> it's like, you. the names are just, they just don't sound right. <laughs> it's Great Grandma Jennifer. <laughs> oh, don't forget about Grand, Grandma Celeste. Like, no, like these names don't work. <laughs> it's like you gotta have. He's like, let God forbid you name your kid, you know, Agnes. <laughs> <laughs> That's my like, other bring name. Bring the names back, <laughs> make it full circle. That's my name, Agnes. <laughs> oh yeah, names definitely have changed, and as generations go on. Now we're getting. <laughs> this is your grandma. West, Northwest. <laughs> <laughs> this is your grandma North. This, this is, is your, your grandma Apple. Like, is, really? <laughs> this is Grandpa Saint. This is your great uncle Booger Bear. Or <laughs> <laughs> the fuck that kid's name was. Blue Bear, what was it? I don't remember. Yeah, I don't remember either. Orangelo, Lamangelo. <laughs> great uncles, Orangelo and Lamangelo. Grandma Ladasha. <laughs> no. <It's> like the, <laughs> just, they don't sound right when you're saying grandma next to it or grandpa. <laughs> See, my kids have relatively normal names. Although Kylie is one of those that it's new enough new and young age. enough that yeah, grandma Kylie just doesn't sound quite right. But grandpa, grandpa Dean. Dean does. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but he was named after his grandpa. Yes. So, I and believe, his uh, great grandpa. Yeah. He had the same middle name as well, Dean. Their middle names, though. Grandma Rain, Grandpa <laughs> River. <laughs> Something like a country song. <laughs> <laughs> there was a river filled by the rain. All right. So I believe the children are our future. Treat them well and let them lead the way. But I also <laughs> believe that Rancy here did experience a spiritualist healing. That is my final, final truth. Final truth. <laughs> <laughs> well, Amy's going to lie for the rest of her life. <laughs> Good to know. <laughs> Be careful when she says she loves you. <laughs> Chad, what are your final thoughts? Uh, there's not enough for me to lean hard on the skeptical side of this. Yeah. So I'm going to have to say it was, I wouldn't even say a fool's like possession, but yeah, spiritual cleansing or something like that. Yeah. And you know what? I would love to take a little spiritual vacation if Mary Roth wants to come and hang out for a bit. 
Let me uh, get some spiritual healing done, and uh, you can have a new wife for a bit. Need that healing. <laughs> That'd be very interesting. That spiritual healing. <laughs> She'd be she coming in here, bossing me around. <laughs> I'd be like, whoa, <laughs> that ain't how this works. <laughs> The 1800s. She's been expecting you to be telling her what to do. World's changed since then. Come home and she'll be like with a bucket, like washing the floor with a brush. <laughs> and I'm like, what are you doing? He might get too spoiled. Maybe I don't want this to happen. <laughs> be coming home from work, dinner be made, floors be clean, kids would be asleep. What, what was that show <laughs> where they were fostering people and they started fostering a girl that she was like, used to be like married to a guy in a cult. Oh, she shameless. was like, she was like 12 or 13. and It was on Shameless, yeah. She was like like sewing clothes for them and stuff, like real old-timey stuff. It was wild like that. I'd say she also was ready to serve her father because that was what her duties were as oh, yeah. a young bride. Yeah. <laughs> it's a weird show, man. <laughs> it's a good show, though. But yeah, I love it. Every time we talk about Chicago, we got to talk about that show. <laughs> <laughs> so this Roth house... It's changed owners many times uh, after it was sold on May 27th, 1879. That was until James Whiteman purchased it on March 30th of 2005. Whiteman worked on restoring the property while allowing paranormal investigators, mediums, those interested in phenomena onto the property, as well as really just anybody else who wanted to stay. So, I found some first-hand account, some first-hand accounts of people's experiences at this house. Joanne Shulo of Ghost Research Society said, "After setting up our command center, we went upstairs to what had been Mary Roth's bedroom. Before going upstairs, I had put a new batteries in my flashlight, but once upstairs, the batteries were dead." Dale conducted an EVP session with the obelisk and received several understandable responses. One of the words, bitch, during the session, the EMF detector that Yvonne was monitoring registered a high number of 14. After Dale asked if we should leave the room, Yvonne's EMF detector went back to zero. Earlier in the evening, Jim was recording temperatures in the hallway at the top of the stairs. A cold spot was detected in temperature of a cold spot was detected at a temperature of 55 degrees. When he checked again while we were upstairs, the cold spot was no longer detected. I, I took a total of approximately 50 photos, but nothing was detected in those shots. Meant to be a new spirit for yeah. the word "bitch" to be what's I translated because that's that's a new word that yeah. wouldn't have been anything from when they were the Ross were unless they were you know residual dog breeders. Now, is Ovilus <laughs> the one that it picks up like frequencies and then it gives it out in like a computer generated voice? Yes. Okay. It's very cool, but I'm not 100% sold on the Ovilus. And not to say that it couldn't have been a new spirit. Yeah. I mean, it could be one of those astral hobos just yeah. hanging out. Cause but yeah, that, I just, the word bitch well, isn't old enough for that to be used back then. So. I say, yeah. It yeah, was, that's a really good point. It was used more as a term for a dog or for yeah. a female animal. I mean, you know, it wasn't, it didn't become popular in our sling until later on. 
In fact, there's a whole show on Netflix about yeah about curse words and yeah. stuff. I haven't watched yeah. that movie yet, but I highly recommend to be it. One of them. I highly recommend it. It has Nicolas Cage. It's like the only thing that has Nicolas Cage that you like. <laughs> <laughs> I still don't like him. I like all of Nicolas Cage's movies, too. I just don't like him. <laughs> and I can't tell you why. I just don't. He creeps me out. <laughs> Kathy Para of Ghost Research Society. GRS visited the... GRS, GRS visited the Roth House to do an investigation on August 3rd, 2013. Members presented were da- members present were Dale, Stan, Jim, Piscopo, Sandy Weber, and I, or I and a new member Yvonne and Yvonne and Joanne. After giving the history and a brief tour of the home, we set up our base camp. Everyone then headed upstairs to Lawrence's bedroom to do an EVP session. We used the obelisk and a ghost box to communicate. We also had a tier, tri, all right, we also had a trifield natural EM meter, millimeter, and a FLIR camera, as well as a stationary video camera that was set up in the room for the entire night. There was a window AC unit running and a window open that created quite a bit of noise contamination. There was nothing conclusive, in my opinion, during much of our 30-minute sessions or a 30 minute session, even though I felt I had been touched a couple of times, it just had been a general feeling. There was something in the room with us for the time towards the end of our session. We had been asking if we should leave the room and got a clear response from the ovalist and a phonic mode of stay here during the same time. We got a high reading on our millimeter. I got no EVPs on my digital audio recorder. We did a session at the top of the stairs next. Earlier during the se- our setup, we had had a dramatic temperature spike, but at this time, the temperature remained consistent. Once again, the obelisk in the phonic mode, we got several possible relevant words. At one point, I questioned the previous uh, I questioned about the previous owner and remarks that we heard he wasn't a very nice man and got bitch as a reply. This seemed to be in context. So there that is again. Sandy Dale and I spent some time in the basement next. At one point, we heard something from an adjoining room. For the rest of their time in the basement, there was too much contamination, contamination from other members of the main floor to be able to distinguish where the noises were coming from. While we seemed to get many good replies on the ghost box, I didn't feel we were clear. I did not feel that they were clear enough from my vantage point to be sure. We did a short EVP session in the kitchen using two obelisks. Once again, we got a few interesting words, but nothing I could call conclusive. I would enjoy going back to this location and spend more time there, but with windows closed and no noise contamination to see what we might get. It's interesting that they got... um, Bitch Yeah. I wonder if this is the same... From that same session. Maybe. And it's just her point of view on it. I'm certain to think so, because the name sounded... Fr- Jim, they were the Dale. Same names, yeah. So, yeah, I'm thinking maybe it was just a different and person writing I, it. I, when I was reading, I was like, huh, Yvonne must be a common uh, <laughs> ghost hunter name, so yeah. <laughs> okay, so it's probably the same people. Well, still, one bitch. Okay, got okay. it. So, Jim Piscopo of Ghost Research <laughs> Society... 
So yeah, the same group. We arrived at 6 p.m. and I took some pictures of the outside of the house. We went inside and got a brief history of the house. I set up my handy cam with night shot in Lawrence's bedroom. After the equipment was set up, I went down through the house with my pyrometer to get temperature readings. The temps in the house were in the 78 to 82 degree range, but in the middle of Lawrence's bedroom, I had a 64 degree reading. I walked out of the bedroom and at the top of the staircase, I had a 58 degree reading. After the walkthrough, I took some more pictures of the inside of the house, and later on we did some EVP sessions. During the investigation, I did not feel anything out of the usual. So according to Sandy Weber of Ghost Research Society, Before setting up, we had given a brief tour of the house and discussion of its history. After the presentation, we set up our equipment in the house. My camera was positioned in the basement storage room focused on the doorway leading to the steps on the first floor. There was quite a lot of contamination from walking and talking among investigators on the first floor. From my review of footage, I did not hear or see anything out of the ordinary. I walked the house with my flare, but saw nothing out of the ordinary. I used the flare during an EVP session throughout the house. I saw nothing out of the ordinary. I participated in the EVP session, but the recorder was not mine. I did not review the evidence. I did not walk through the house taking readings with my tri-field natural, oh, tri-field natural EM meter, as I usually do, because I spent too much time on my limited investigation trying to rig my camera to my computer at the command center. So she had a pretty uneventful night. But Stan Suho of Ghost Research Society. Well, another old, very big two-story house with a long history of paranormal happenings. The proprietor gave us the first-class tour and we set to work. Because we were under some time constraints, my GEIST setup was cut back somewhat. Due to some occurrences in the backyard, Dale and I decided to set up my ghost camera and my ghost microphone there. Good for video, but the crickets and locusts brought along all their backup singers with them. Since audio recording was out of the question, I concentrated on video and taking IR photos with the help of Dale's big IR light. Yeah, it was. When not busy in the backyard, I followed the ACE EVP team taking IR pictures and watching them use all the latest ghost gadgets. I think that one of these days, one of those gadgets will lead to a paranormal breakthrough. The evening ended quite early, and we headed back to Chicago. Chicago. Now, I found, uh, like, a forum. Uh, I actually didn't write down the name of the website, but Michelle wrote on September 4th, 2018 at 7.33 a.m. There are many spirits in this house. Daniel, the old man, the judge, and some of the and some in the basement that are not so nice. I had one corner my by the cellar door. Later I or later a man had his I hate forms. All right. <laughs> <coughs> there are many spirits in this house. Daniel, the old man, judge, and some in the basement are not so nice. I had one corner me by the cellar door. Later a man 
had his back touched. One of the one of the basement floor EMF detectors went off when John, the owner, was down there asking questions. The, this is the place to go when he does open houses. Note, this is a private house. Tree Bradburn wrote on October 11th, 2018, I did an investigation at this house about eight years ago when John, the owner, still had it open. It was my husband, my sister, brother, grandmother, and myself. We didn't catch on camera, but we did catch many EVPs with an audio recorder. One of these EVPs called me a fucking bitch right by the entrance to the stairs to the basement. My husband at a point in time during the night felt like he was being choked, and you could hear a voice sounding pleased about. I also turned on music and asked the spirits if they liked the music and captured a yes. So I'm going to say this is either later owners that are haunting the house and or hobos. Yeah. This could be Hobo Or Joe. John is using the open house to create an H.H. Holmes style house in Chicago, nonetheless. Or this is like the movie 13 Ghosts and each room has a different ghost trapped. Yeah. And that was the jackal. Jackal. The jackal. The jackal. The jackal. <laughs> the jackal. It wasn't a jackal the first 500 times. <laughs> So Pete wrote on January 17th, 2019. My team just went there several months ago. Very active. And the owner still rents out the house for investigations. One of our group had something follow her home. So make sure to close out any sessions before departing. That's the lesson for anyone who goes out ghost hunting. Yeah. Yeah, do your (laughs) banishings. I always bring sage with me. To your cleansings sage, and sage oil and a sage stick, just <laughs> just to, yeah, whatever kind of cleansing you know how to do, <laughs> do it after any ghost. Yeah. In July 2020, Spectre Waves Paranormal were conducting a paranormal investigation at the Roth House in Watsika, Illinois. Spectre Waves were in the front parlor where seances were conducted at the turn of the 20th century. Immediately. They were engaged by multiple ovalous words and rim pod activity. The front parlor was very active. To book an overnight stay or paranormal investigation, please contact John at 773-949-6650 or email rothhome at gmail.com. Great job, as always. I know where I want to go in Chicago. Yeah. I've been to Chicago, but I want to go there. Yeah. I'd rather go there than actual Chicago. I think, um, I didn't dig too far into this, but I know he was trying to get it registered as like a house for the Historical Society or, or whatever that's called. Where yeah. it's, and so I believe be he succeeded. Stuff, so. Nice. Because, I mean, this house was pretty decrepit when he bought it and then restored it to, like, its former glory and filled it full of, like, Victorian antique furniture. And it's beautiful, of like, looking at the pictures from it, from these investigations of people, like, trying to capture orbs or spirits or whatever. Very beautifully decorated. That's awesome. So, definitely worth a stay. I heard on, oh, some podcast, it's, like, 250 a night for 
up to four people. That's actually not too bad. No, we sold that four ways. Yeah. Yeah. I am definitely interested once COVID disappears. Um, awesome story. I totally believe. And I'm normally kind of skeptical. The only part I'm skeptic about now is the reviews from the ghost yeah. hunters. <laughs> <laughs> well, like I said, like <coughs> for me, the obelisk. <laughs> uh, the obelisk is definitely one. It's one of my least favorite. It's tools. very cool when it is like just, working with like the conversation when it fits in. But like, I don't know. I I have some lot of, I don't know. I've just never been a fan of it. I mean, the ghost boxes thing is pretty cool too, but at the same time, I mean, it's still all flawed. Yeah. But it, it's, it's cool. But the, yeah, they were all seem to depend on the obelisk a lot. And that's what I think a problem is going to be with some of the technology that comes out for ghost hunting is I think yeah. all, some of the teams tend to, rely too much on that newer technology. I think it relies on technology instead of the... Which a REM pod is a type of EMF detector. Yeah. Yeah. That it detects it not just like in the area like a uh, what is that, an MK2 or whatever? I thought the REM pod was the one that actually set out EMF waves. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it tells you from what direction it's yeah. coming from. I thought the REM pods are cool. Honestly, I still even remember watching all the ghost shows with the rod, hand rods. Yeah, the dowsing rods. Dowsing rods. Oh, yeah, so and, cool. Well, especially when they had the dowsing rods with the EMF detectors and they were both picking up things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think, like I said, that. well, also, in today's age, there are so many ghost hunting teams Yeah. that think they can just get the equipment and go. And yes, you're going to get some evidence, but there's also a lot to be said for the classic equipment, the camera, yeah, the EVP. I would like for um, even the investigator themselves. Yeah, I the mean, investigator is a huge part yeah. of the. Well, a lot of ghost hunters are skeptics and they want to prove it wrong. Yeah, and some of them are so into it that they're going to make things up to make yeah. it sound like it. I would love for uh, Memphis, Memphis. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ghost Rescue, to like yeah. go there and hear their point of view, just because the fact that they're working with mediums and yeah, that kind of stuff. I cause that's more believable to me than honestly than the techno technology. Yeah, yeah, I'm kind of the same way with it. Yeah, when I went, when a medium, well, when like a medium works with the technology, that's like the most believable thing for me. Yeah, when you got not only the technological side of it, but you have the human side of it as well. It's same like if you're not a medium and you get touched and the video shows your shirt moving, you know, like I like the correlation between the two because I'm not going to throw off science and technology, but at the same time, the human element to an investigation is an extremely important part of an investigation because I think we send out more energy than they're going to play off of our energy more. They're going to play off the energy of a camera. Right. You know right. what I mean? But I want to go visit it. Yeah. Seems awesome. So do I. But once again, that's like, to me, that's only like I said, I don't have skepticism towards uh, Lorancy Venom or Mary Roth taking her over. But I do have it towards the ghost hunting reviews. <laughs> super also, the fact that the reviews were all from this, like, Same majority time. of them were all from the same place. It's just like, 
That's cheating. I am super skeptical of most ghost hunting teams. And I am too. And that's all because of one show kind of ruined it for me. Yeah. Ghost press. Well, yeah, I'm not going to get into it in this episode. (laughs) Um, But thank you for bringing this case to us, Dave. Yeah. That was actually really cool. I really enjoy this. I hope you guys, our listeners, do too. And I hope you're staying warm if you're anywhere near any of these cold Central, places. Central United <sighs> States. Oh, and next week we got something really cool to bring you. And Amy's actually taking the lead on this one. It finally happened. We're doing it. We're doing it. We are doing a missing persons case. Missing 411. Multiple missing person case. We're doing missing 411. And this is a part of a series. Because there's like our Montec project. Over a thousand disappeared peoples. Fuck, dude. Thousand disappeared people. There are over a thousand people who have disappeared that are in these books. And I mean, there are 12 or 13 books, and none of them repeat cases. Yeah. And, so, you, and you dug through like three of them just for this one episode. Yeah. So I'm excited to present it to everybody because it's pretty cool. Yep, I'm excited. I've been obsessed with the missing 411 for a few years. Yeah. So yeah, I have it's too. it's kind of where my my true crime meets paranormal, paranormal collide. You know, there's certain things like that, like the um oh the Lizzie Borden house and the. Valeska Axe Murder House and, you know, all these places like that that kind of correlate my true crime obsession with my paranormal obsession. And they just make me happy. Yeah. (laughs) Death makes me happy. (laughs) Especially unexplained death. So thank you guys for listening. Make sure you go to our website, site umpnormalcy.com. Check out our merchandise. Join our Facebook group and our Facebook page and our Instagram and our Twitter at UMP Normalcy. Don't forget Parabox Monthly. Get your brand new paranormal t-shirt sent to you every month. Um, Use the link in this description and use promo code Paranormalcy at checkout and get 10% off your order. And we love our listeners. You guys are the best. And until next time, keep digging.